And I'm going to get to the um, pulpit really quickly. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> well, thank you, Ben. They'll be here for a little bit longer. And thank you for Elise for being here today and bringing my grandbabies. <laughs> Very exciting. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, Happy Mother's Day. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, God said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, for Jesus. And we enter into that most holy place with you because we can do that. And pray, Lord God, that you'd open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears to hear fresh insight and wisdom from your word, to increase the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives for ourselves and for our families. Thank you, Lord. Now, you've heard some of our story. And for those who perhaps don't know the details, here's a quick recap. David and I, we weren't raised in Christian homes. Our parents and families followed a religion which was Christian in name only. There were no followers of Jesus. There were no disciples. It was not as we know him. I met David a long time ago in 1982, and there we are showing our age. Neither of us were Christians, and in 1983, I became a Christian. I met the Lord, and we met again a second time in 1983, and we dated for about a year until I heard the voice of God very clear from that scripture to Corinthians to come out from them and be separate, to separate in full from the religion of my past. So in 1984, it was very, very difficult, but I knew I had to do it, and so I stopped dating with the enemy. <laughs> Sorry, hon. <laughs> he said, no jokes about shorts today. Anyway. <laughs> Um, I got baptised. It was an absolutely amazing time. That's another story. And in 1985, I travelled the world. You know, Europe and the UK, it was all very exciting. I love history. My nana had come from Scotland. Nana was very Scottish. And I don't know if it's part of the Scottish culture. Apologies to anyone with um, that heritage. But Nana sounded angry most of the time. Elizabeth McMillan was her name. She was a strong, opinionated woman. She was proud. She was complaining often. She was hard and she was hardened against hurts and abuses and family troubles from her past. At 13 years old, Nana had come with her family from Scotland to Tasmania. And I understand now she'd suffered abuse. I don't know the details. It was only ever spoken of in whispers in our household. I was always considered too young to understand. And at age 21, 
Nana came alone to Sydney from Tasmania to start afresh, to begin a new life separate from the abusers of her past. In Sydney, girl met boy, Elizabeth met Clarence, Nana met Popper, they married. And I remember Nana telling me in my teens, in no uncertain terms, with resentment lodged deep in her heart, that it took just six weeks from the time she was married for her love castle, that was how she described it, for her love castle to be torn down. Nevertheless, they made a home and my mum, her brothers and sister were brought into the world. And somewhere on that journey, Nana heard, believed and followed the teachings of Christian science. The scene was set for destruction of her life and of the lives who followed. Nana passed Christian science onto my mum, my aunt, my uncles. Nana influenced my dad. My mum and dad passed Christian science to me and to my sisters. We were three lost generations. And it showed. Nana and Papa, mum and dad, always bickering, a lot of yelling, a lot of argument, chaos. Mum needed things around her, so she hoarded things. As young Christian women driving around the UK with a couple of girlfriends, I was intrigued by Scottish, Nana's Scottish history and I wanted to know more. And we stopped over in Saltcoats where my Nana was born on the Scottish West Coast. And there it is. It was a seaside town and the day we went it was a cold windy village by a cold grey sea. The sun wasn't shining. Mum had given me some contact details for a woman named Peg, who was Nana's aunt, and they'd kept in close contact over many years. But I'd mistakenly left those details back in London and I'd come all the way to Saltcoats and I had nothing to go on. It was a Sunday and we really wanted to find a local church. But of all the churches in the area, we couldn't find any times to suit. And there didn't seem to be a lot to see or do in little salt coats, uh, so we were going to drive on. But before leaving, I asked if I could have some time alone on the beach. I wanted to pray for the people of my past. I wanted to pray for my nana, who had passed away by that time. But I wanted to pray for my parents, and I wanted to pray for this Christian science history that I just didn't understand. And I asked God, if at all possible if at all possible, to meet some Macmillan relatives. It seemed an impossible ask because we were about to leave the area. And about Nana, I felt God whisper, it's okay, just trust in me. I didn't know what that meant. And truly, even to this day, I still don't know quite what that meant. But on the road out of Saltcoats, we passed a lovely stone church building the South Beach Baptist Church. We stopped. The time was just right. The church service was starting in 30 minutes. Perfect. We were warmly welcomed. A woman asked about our visit. I explained I gave Nana's name, Elizabeth McMillan. And she said, 
they had some Macmillans in the church and she'd let them know. Waiting for church to start, I felt a tap on my shoulder. And I turned around to see a little Scottish woman who took one look at me and said, Ah, she's a Macmillan if ever I saw one. (laughs) Um, And it was then I met two sisters, Bella and Ellen Macmillan, who were my Nana's cousins. I'd stumbled on the nearest living relatives of my grandmother's family that I possibly could have. And better than that, I'd stumbled upon, with God's leading, my long-lost Christian heritage. We heard a beautiful gospel message and we heard a song that was new to me and I've asked the band to sing it today. Exodus 21. Exodus 21 is, if you buy a Hebrew slave, he may serve you for no more than six years. Set him free in the seventh year and he will owe you nothing for his freedom. But if the slave declares, I love my master, I don't want to go free, his master must present him before God and his master must take him to the doorpost and publicly pierce his ear with an awl, and after that, the slave will serve his master for life. Sounds painful, costly, and it is, and so is the cross. This principle, piercing my ear, can reflect our relationship with God. 
Jesus died to set us free. Jesus died for the whole world and he sets us free to choose whether we choose to stay or whether we choose to go. From what I can tell, my nana chose, I'm not sure, to ignore, to move on from, to know better than her Christian heritage. I think the abuses of her past had perhaps left her like Ephesians 4, tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, influenced when people tricked her with lies so clever they sounded like the truth. Nana chose instead to follow a different Lord and that choice led her and the generations following into generational bondage. My Nana, my mum, my dad, they could have left me a beautiful Christian inheritance. Instead, the inheritance from Christian science left our families dysfunctional, left me confused, controlled by anger and fear, with a deep feeling of unworthiness, subject to the enemy who comes only to kill, steal and destroy. Until I met Jesus, I'd never known such freedom. And willingly, willingly, I pierced my ear, I did what was asked, I gave up Christian science and all that went with it, submitted to Jesus as my master for the freedom he had given me. And over time, I can truly declare, he is setting me free indeed. My question today is, what inheritance are you leaving behind for those you love. Now, I've got a little demonstration and some helpers to help me with it. So, hopefully they're coming. Uh, just to give you a picture of what inheritance looks like. Okay. <laughs> the plan has swapped. Anyway, that's fine. Inheritance is firstly given. Inheritance is given and inheritance may be received. Inheritance can be given <laughs> and may be rejected. <laughs> inheritance received is held for a time. The inheritance might be nurtured, grown, prospered, or it might be squandered, misused, forgotten, and destroyed. Inheritance, whether it's been nurtured or squandered, is eventually given away. You do pass things, whether you like it or not, whether your children wish to receive it or not, you pass your inheritance on. <clears throat> Thank you, guys. Um, you can take your seats. Um, and I'd wanted to pass the what's in those boxes around to demonstrate um, for each one the receiving and the giving, the passing on. But that's not COVID-friendly, so I can't really do that. Um, and so we do have chocolate overload today. The boxes will be in the cafe. Please take your little part of the inheritance as you leave. 
So whether it's planned and intentional, whether it's grown and nurtured for good, or whether it's left without attention, left to rot like an untended vegetable garden, which is what mine looks like at the moment, but anyway, you will leave something behind for your children that your children will inherit. inherit. What inheritance are you leaving behind for those you love? Let's look more closely at what our inheritance is. Our Christian inheritance is significant. It's a topic way too big for this single message. There are more than 300 verses in Scripture for words like inherit and inheritance. That's not including like words like heir, birthright and estate. The obvious inheritance, the one that we know, is money and property. But inheritance is much more than money. A dictionary defines inheritance as the acquisition of a possession, a condition, or a trait from past generations. I'm going to repeat that. Inheritance is the acquisition of a possession, a condition, or a trait from past generations. Whichever way you look at it, you will leave something behind for your children. You will pass something on. I inherited Christian science and all the dysfunction it wrought. My mum and dad were careful to prepare for me a financial inheritance, property, shares, some cash, which the lawyers mostly got. But what mum and dad didn't realise was that without Jesus, they passed on to me their generations of dysfunction. I glimpsed my lost Christian inheritance at the South Beach Baptist Church in 1985. I met a people. I met my people standing firm in their Christian faith. In Timothy chapter 1, we see an example of a grandmother and a mother passing on their faith. Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Lois and Eunice passed on to Timothy a possession far greater than money or property. They passed on the condition, the trait of their faith in Jesus. This inheritance was so valuable that Paul acknowledges Timothy as co-author of 2 Corinthians, Colossians and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, not to mention the letters that Paul wrote directly to Timothy, which form part of our scripture today including that well-known verse, I'm sure we all know it, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. How many times have you cited that one? For me, it's been many. That's our inheritance. Timothy's inheritance included faith, a place of service, a place in history, What inheritance are you leaving behind for those you love? To understand a worldly inheritance, we don't have to know where it comes from. We don't have to know the the giver. There can be a long-lost aunt who leaves an inheritance to some long-lost distant other person. Um, But that's not so with our godly inheritance. We receive our inheritance when we know the one who gives. We need to know the giver. 2 John chapter 1 
says that anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. As we follow the great shepherd, so we listen to his word, so we hear his voice. As a new Christian, I didn't know the conflict of interest in dating someone who was a follower of Christian science. But as I grew in Jesus, so I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit and God's instruction to me was very clear to separate myself from among unbelievers. But this instruction didn't come empty. It came with a promise. It came with my inheritance. From 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. I didn't fully understand the promise at the time But I see today, this promise made to me then is fulfilled in my life today. I've been blessed to marry a changed man, a man committed to weathering life storms with Jesus in our boat. I've thankfully been changed, being changed. Time and again, we've seen healing of heart, soul and body, blessing in our family, our work and our finances, strength and courage to face adversity. It hasn't taken the adversity away, but Jesus has given the, the strength and adversity to walk through it. And figuratively speaking, water in our wells, in the winters and in times of drought. This is the fruit of our inheritance. From Galatians chapter 3, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham, you are heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Our inheritance in Christ is like putting on new clothes. And what woman on this Mother's Day doesn't love to wear a new dress? We get to exchange our clothing, our torn, dirty, dull clothing, the ashes of the lost generations for beauty. We get to exchange our mourning for things which haven't worked out, for true joy. And we can put on garments of praise in place of depression and anxiety. The list doesn't stop there. We have faith instead of fear. We can wear peace instead of confusion. We can live with hope, not hopelessness. We have the light of the world shining in us, replacing our darkness. We get to build on a firm foundation, not on quicksand swept away by the storms of life. You do not have to live dressed in the negatives. These things are not your inheritance. Your inheritance is a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay from Peter 1, chapter 1. Peter 1, chapter 1. Thank you. You are a chosen people, a holy nation, God's very own possession, 
and you get to pass on that inheritance. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Don't be afraid that your past or your womanhood limits your inheritance or the inheritance that you hold to pass on to your children. In traditional Hebrew law, women, mothers, daughters, widows didn't have inheritance rights. There are a few scripture examples of daughters inheriting property, but these were the exception and not the rule. By law then, and even in our modern times, women were and have been the property of men. And there's clearly still some things that our Australian society is working through in this space. But Jesus. But Jesus. Jesus turned the oppression of women on its head. Each of the Gospels records women as friends of Jesus. Women, in many instances, flawed women. Women, just like us, played an important part in history. Flawed women made it into the genealogy of Jesus. I love this concept. It demonstrates so clearly Romans chapter 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There was Tamar who disguised herself as a prostitute in significant deceit of her family and community. There was Rahab who was a prostitute from Jericho. There was Ruth, a Moabite woman who became King David's great-grandmother There was Bathsheba, unfaithful to her husband. Her son Solomon succeeded King David to the throne. All these flawed women were given a place in the genealogy of Jesus. Women were key players at Jesus' birth. Mary, his mother, Elizabeth, his aunt, Anna, the prophetess at the temple. Jesus involved women directly and closely in his ministry. Again, Women imperfect. From Luke chapter 8, Jesus took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who'd been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he'd cast out seven demons, Joanna, wife of Chusa, Chusa being Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who contributed from their own resources to support Jesus and the disciples. Women were present at Jesus' death and burial, women were present at his resurrection, and there are different accounts of who got there first. But on Mother's Day, I'm claiming that women were chosen as the first messengers to share the resurrection story. (laughs) Beyond that, there was Lydia from Acts chapter 16, who was a wealthy dealer in textiles and a church planter. There was Priscilla, Acts chapter 18, who discipled Apollos with her husband Aquila, they were making a difference in their community. There were Philip's four daughters. Who's heard of Philip's four daughters? There were Philip's four daughters in Acts chapter 21 who powerfully proclaimed God's message. Phoebe, Romans chapter 16, who was a church deacon who apparently delivered and was sufficiently learned likely to have read the letter to the Romans, to the church. Jesus passed an inheritance to women against the culture of the day. It was an inheritance of freedom. It was an inheritance of influence. Jesus wrote for women 
for us, for you and me, a new decree. Like King Xerxes wrote for Queen Esther. Xerxes wrote a new decree which set the Hebrew people, Esther's people, free. From Esther 8, then Esther went again before the king, falling down at his feet and begging him with tears to stop the evil plot devised by Haman against the Jews. Again, the king held out the gold scepter to Esther. And so she rose and she stood in his presence. And Esther said, if it please the king, let there be a decree that reverses the orders of Haman who ordered that Jews throughout all of the king's provinces should be destroyed. For how can I endure to see my people and my family slaughtered and destroyed? Then King Xerxes said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, now go ahead and send a message to the Jews in the king's name and seal the decree with the king's signet ring And so on June 25, the king's secretaries were summoned and a new decree was written exactly as Mordecai dictated. Did you hear that? The king gave Esther an inheritance. Our king gives you his inheritance. Esther was appointed for that time, for that moment. You are appointed in your families, in your world for such a time as this, to plead with the king on behalf of your people for their freedom, for their lives. The king extended his gold scepter to Esther as a sign of his favour. And the king extends his, our king extends his gold scepter towards you. You have his favour. Esther rose up in the king's presence and stood before him. Through Jesus, we have authority to rise up in the king's presence and stand before him. And the king commanded a new decree, saving Esther's people. And our king has written a new decree for ourselves and for our families. You and your families don't have to live subject to the works of the evil one. Go to the king. He has opened the way. He extends to you the gold scepter. Plead with him on their behalf and trust. Our king's decree is already rewritten. Jesus' work is done. It's completed. And the new decree which he has written will stand. Our role is to stand firm in him. Turns out, and it ought not surprise us, Christian inheritance is far more generous than we know. Deuteronomy chapter 15, And when you let your slave go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. As the Lord God has blessed you, so shall you give to him. My King Jesus 
has written a new decree for the lost generations of my family. Me and my husband, our sisters and their husbands in David's family and my own, my children and their partners, my baby grandchildren to come, this inheritance will be passed to them. But Christian inheritance is not just for the generations which come after. Going back the other way, I believe my mum and dad were saved in their final months in this world. And I even dare to believe God's whisper on that Salt Coats beach that it was okay to trust him. I even dare to believe that God extended to my nana his gold scepter, his grace in her latter days. Three lost generations potentially become five saved generations. Five saved generations for whom a new decree has been written. And yet this precious inheritance, as in my nana's example, can be given to the generations to come, but if not nurtured, inheritance might not be received or might be forgotten, never to bear fruit. We're only ever one generation away from losing the family inheritance. What inheritance will you leave behind for those you love? For many of you, this burden is real. I know because there are many prayer requests at the altar for family, for those that I know you love. And after the service, if you'd like us to stand with you in prayer, we're here for you. Pastor David and I, I'm sure Elise as well, um, you'd be welcome to come. But let's pray now for families. I have asked Pastor David to come as we pray together. There we go. Maybe we can just stand. And uh, this is a big thing. Um, I know that on Mother's Day there'd be people here today whose children aren't walking with the Lord right now. And um, we're going to pray for them. Oh. Come and join me. Yeah. Okay. No, it's okay. Let's pray. This, I guess this is such a big thing on our lives because we know where we've come from. You know, where we, we came from a place where our Christian heritage was lost and um, so, somehow God brought us back on track. Somehow God brought salvation back to us. And so, Father, Father, we lift before you everyone here this morning. And, Father, the extended people of Emerged Church. And, Father, our prayer is, is very simple, Lord, that if there are those in these families that are away from you, that you would be drawing them back to yourself. Father, this is a day where the lost are being saved. This is a day, Lord, where the backslider are being restored. So, Heavenly Father, we ask that right across Emerged Church that there'd be a flood of souls that is these ones, Father, in families that are away from you. Father, as they are drawn back, let it be that when they come back that they really get it. Father, this scripture talks about you being our God and these people being your people. Let it be that they really get it. Even these scriptures, Lord, about separating themselves unto you, coming out from these things of the world. Let it be that there's a revelation of that scripture for each one. Father, we can't do that, but we ask for a grace of your spirit. Father, where there's been a turning away, let there be grace, Father. You say where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And Father, we pray for the inheritance that we leave. That, Father, that there would simply be an anointing upon us that as we deal with our children and our grandchildren and our relatives. And Lord, I know that there are young men here, young people here, Lord, who have recently got saved. 
who want to see their own family impacted. Father, they're going upline, Father. They're, they're thinking about their parents and probably their grandparents and other relatives, Father. Let it be, Father, that the influence, Father, is not according to age, but according to a hunger after you. Let it be, Father, that right through these families there is a harvest. Let it be, Father, that each of these lives in our church leaves a godly inheritance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.